Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast with me, Cy Jobling. This podcast is all about speaking to other people from around tech about how they try to find a balance between work, life and any side projects they find time for. From sharing their stories, we hope it helps others find their own balance and maybe enjoy some of the cool things we talk about along the way. This week, I've invited along Brian Suda, a master informatician from Iceland. I've known Brian for many years, been working together on a number of side projects, going way back to when web standards were the main focus, and we had quite a few innovative projects for them. Brian has always fascinated me with his creativity, his can-do attitude, and real blend of freelancing with side projects. After all these years, it's probably the perfect time to understand a bit more about how he works. Let's get into it. How are you doing, Brian? Doing pretty well. Uh, given the circumstances, it's the best uh, best we got going on right now. Really? So um, how, how has lockdown actually affected you? Has it been a bit of a weird year for you? or uh, Definitely been weird. There's been lots of ups and downs and uh, a lot of new opportunities have come up out of it, but a lot of things have just been much more slow and sluggish. Right when Iceland sort of implemented a lot of its lockdown stuff, it was kind of mid to early March, and we had a conference right at the end of March, which we ended up having to cancel. So that was a huge disappointment, but it's completely understandable. And then <clears throat> sort of teetering along this unknowing of what's going to happen. And then now that things have kind of leveled off. Uh, we've kind of gotten into a rhythm and some you know, new opportunities have popped up here and there just because, uh, you know, I'm remote and I've always been remote. But now companies, you know, all of their employees, all their contractors, all their all their freelancers are remote. So it's given a few opportunities that I might not have had previously because I'm on a much even, much more even playing field with everybody else. Yeah. Well, we could talk about a lot of, a few things we'll unpick later on here, but um, it's, it's, I've known you for probably about 15 years nearly. It's, it's scary how fast that time's gone. And 15 plus. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so let's, let's go back a little bit and think about, I just want to talk a bit about what your job title is um, and how you got there. Cause it's, it's a real, I've never heard this job title before. It's master informatician, is it? Yeah. Um, I studied up in Edinburgh and the degree was actually informatics. It's more of a European term than sort of a North American term. Uh, it's kind of quite difficult to kind of explain what informatics is, but it's sort of not just computer science, but it's sort of cross-disciplinary computer science, some theoretical, some practical. And at the time, you know, the degree was informatics. So therefore, what is the sort of noun version of that? And then we were thinking like, if you study mathematics, you're a mathematician. So if you study informatics, you must be an informatician. So uh, I've been trying to use that term and get it in his print as many places. So one day, hopefully, we can get it into the Oxford English Dictionary. Is it not even in the dictionary yet? No, I think it's just a made-up word. But that's the great thing about English. If you just make up and use words enough and it gets enough traction, uh, it can be cemented into the dictionary. So that's my goal. Yeah, you mentioned um, word linguistics in your recent newsletter. Again, we'll talk about it a bit more later. But do you find that, yeah, language is evolving quite rapidly, especially in the tech era. Um, I think we we probably think it's evolving quite rapidly, but probably every era thinks it's probably revolving or evolving quite rapidly. And there's always, I think the, the bigger thing is we've got a bigger mix now. Like previously, most people didn't leave their little communities or a few people left the communities. But now with the internet, we've got random 
random words being picked up across different languages, different cultures, different sort of silos. And now we've got all sorts of, may not jargon, but uh, sort of LOL, you know, uh, yeah. so you know, shortenings and all these sort of contractions. And then we get all the super interesting things of uh, just physical limitations. Uh, there was a super interesting thing on Twitter, and I don't know how true it is, but in Japan, they weren't like they had a little evolution of their LOL turned into something. I think it was the Japanese character for grass. Right. And it was like several steps to get there. And it was just a single kanji character. Um, and that was sort of because of a limitation of, you know, keyboards and character count and all sorts of other things. So that sort of stuff is just fascinating to me. Well, I mean, it kind of ties back to your origins right in informatics and stuff like that it's like the visualization and the, the it's not just data it's information that comes out of data right yeah 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 so how did you it, go on. i was gonna say a lot of that is you have to know it's not you know the final thing or the final bit of information it's like wow that's interesting but there's a lot of historical context and metadata that tends to get lost it's just like you know whenever you do a project it's like here's the final thing Oh, great. That took you a hundred hours. Well, yeah, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't see. And that's, mm. to me, that's a super interesting bit for everything, for language, for data, for, for yeah, projects, for life. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you've got the insights and the history to it, so it helps. Um, how did you sort of evolve your role in? So you got informatics under the belt and then you, now you're working a lot of tech, right? So what, what was that journey like for you? Um, when I finished school, I was slowly heading back to the States and I stopped off in Iceland and I've kind of been here for 15, 16 years now. It's quite the pit stop. Yeah. It's uh, just, I'm lazy. Just sign another lease, stick around for another year. That'll do. Yeah. Um, it's nice. And uh, you know, I always tell people some days are good or some days are bad, but it's never boring. You know, we've had financial collapses and volcanoes and, but, uh, yeah. So when I first came here, I was working for sort of enterprise software and got to do a lot of interesting projects. And then sort of after that, I've always been either doing small startups or helping small startups or freelancing or having small sort of side projects and companies of my own. And a lot of where I am today just came through, you know, work, through needs, through having to wear multiple hats and then finding things interesting or having not find them interesting, but you just have to turn in your tax returns. So then you become an expert on what can be classed in different tax brackets. And it's just the life of a freelancer. Sure. So you pretty much freelance for most of your career by the sound of it. Yeah, probably the biggest biggest chunk of my adult life has been for either freelancing or yeah, small startup projects. Got it. So, um, I mean, we, we going back sort of late noughties, we did a bit of work around sort of calendars and stuff like that. But before that, you were a big part of the microformats sort of community. What Can you tell us a bit about what happened there and how you got involved? Sure. Um, I don't know exactly how it all started, but as part of my, uh, part, of, part of the degree, we were working on some XSLT. One of my advisors right. was a big, uh, one of the big guys who kind of, Worked on XSLT. He was big in XML XSLT at the time. And this was around the 2000s. And I was working on converting, uh, you know, with XSLT, you convert XML into uh, other formats, be it yeah. HTML, other XML. It's sort of the, the transformation language. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was transforming is why not transform XML into, you know, uh, calendars or uh, contacts. That was vCard and iCal at the time. Yeah. And Tantec was working on something similar in HTML and trying to codify a way to represent HTML because HTML has only, what are 45-ish 
uh, elements that you can choose from. Yeah, back there. Yeah, and then you sort of decorated them with class attributes. That way you could say, this is a paragraph, but this paragraph is a class, person, name, whatever whatever the context might be. So that was kind of how you were backporting the XML free tag, you know, name your tag, whatever you want, uh, to uh, HTML. And we kind of found each other somehow, and then we were talking in IRC, and then a few more people came in, and we talked about it at a few conferences. And this was sort of riding the wave of the semantic web. You know, that was a big topic, RDF, semantic web. We're yeah. going to have a web of data. And all that sounds super interesting and super fun. Um, sadly, it still hasn't quite come to fruition. The microformats are still out there. They're being used. Uh, certainly, I think the... The, the enthusiasm and the hope where it was going to go uh, hasn't quite panned out, but I don't know if that's a problem with uh, silos such as Facebook or adoption or tooling or maybe a combination of a lot of things. And maybe it was just too early. You know, maybe it's, it's heyday is yet to come. Maybe. But it was a fascinating era. I mean, you know, this is when I sort of got into tech and web a lot more as well. Um, that web mm-hmm. standards movement with WASP, you know, I remember that little icon. Um, yeah. And it was, I think, what caught my attention when you were doing all this cool stuff with, you know, identifying events, you know, how can you have a standard for events and putting it into a calendar, which is what people actually use. And that is, I made that link. I was like, oh, actually, we've got a World Cup coming up soon. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hash out a little side project and see how it comes out. Uh, we were talking directly, weren't we? It's like, well, hang on, this doesn't quite work. This isn't parsed correctly. Or what what element should we be using for this? But it took off and we actually saw the opportunity. And, you know, amazing. I was like, the press we, we got from this was crazy. I was like the BBC, yeah. The Guardian, Yahoo, all these guys were picking it up. The geeks were loving it. But actually the real world were picking it up. And I, for me, I just feel like, like you say, it didn't really get that full traction it should have deserved. But... I felt good that we'd contribute something to society personally. It was like, yeah, real world, mate. This is how tech can impact the real things out there. For those people who might not remember or know, what we had done is we created a, a web page on our own for yeah. it was a World Cup 2006. Yeah. And we had listed out all the matches, the, the group stages, the, the brackets, and it was all in HTML. But inside the HTML, we had labeled specifically, this was the name of the uh, venue and the time, so anyone could, we had our own special scraper, but conceivably the idea was that the browser would see see the data and be like, hey, there's 15 events. Do you want to add mm-hmm. this to your calendar? And we had come up with a bunch of interesting and, and fun stuff. Let me grab something. This is a blast from the past. Hang on. Oh, oh this sounds mentioned? interesting. Let's keep this one around. This is a massive white elephant that we ended up from this project as well. Because we did this just on our own, didn't we? The, yeah. the World Cup calendar. Yep. And then afterwards, we were approached by, by UEFA. Yep. And they said, you know, we love this thing. We want to do, was it for Euro Cup or whatever it was called, UEFA? I think it was for the, it was originally we did it, well, we followed up with UEFA, the Euro 2008, uh, did another version of it then. And then UEFA approached and said, we'd like to try this on the Champions League and the Europa Leagues and all the other competitions that was it, yeah. they run. So that's when we got into a, de- a bit more detail. It was, again, fascinating because that back office data, we went, Oh my God, there's so much information to play with here. But do you, do you remember, we, we did that first project just out of passion. And then the guy we were you know, in contact with at UEFA was like, oh, really sorry, we, you know, we can't pay you, but what's your favorite you know, football team? And then like a month later, we got you know, football kit in the post. <laughs> and I've still, I've still got mine. Oh, wow. Because Fantastic. 
I rem yeah, I remember I got a letter from the post office and it said, come on down, you got a package. It's like, okay, what? It's like, yeah, you owe 50 quid for what? I don't even know who this is from. And I had to open it up. So I ended up paying for the free work that we did <laughs> for UEFA. No. So I'm never going to throw the football jersey away. It was such a, I mean, like you say, it was nice intent, intent but the fact you got to pay that import tax <laughs> just to, to receive yeah. a gift was like, what the hell? But it was, it was a wonderful era. Going back to that project and all those spin-offs we did, you know, we, we, had, we tried even to do um, like a live t Twitter commentary from that date as well. Yeah. And that, that concept caught on. And the other thing, do you remember, I mean, for the younger listeners out there, you mm. paid extra to Vodafone and all these companies to get an SMS when there was a goal. Yeah. And there was like a premium service that the, the telecoms provided. And we were like, we have this data from their XML feed. We could tweet this out. And then if you had the DMs on, you would get a direct message of a goal, of a red card, of whatever, yeah. from the games and just totally usurp. And we built it. We never released it, but we built it. It was a wonderful POC, but I think we, I think at that point, UEFA realised, we've got tech teams that can build this stuff. We're going to do it ourselves now, but thanks for proving it right. And now, even still now, I was talking to uh, another person the other week, uh, Franca Hood, and she's always been doing the live Derby County commentary, but manually. So it was not like the automated system <laughs> that we built. But again, that is such a diluted market now. People love the live match day commentary. And I remember that first night we did the UEFA and we turned it on. Um, I think we we're both watching and going, is it going to break? Is it going to break? No. But oh my, the, 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 the data that was coming out, oh, it was... It was good times. And I think we we're both younger yeah. and more energetic back then. This was a late night project that we worked on. But um, yeah. yes, I mean, is, is there any other things that you kind of miss from those days as well? I mean, some of it is I mean, definitely the community. There was always people hanging around in, mm. in, in IRC and, and chatting and, and we had a wiki and there was a mailing list. And I think with the rise of, you know, social media, Twitter, Facebook, sort of that community both has is, is disappeared to other places but also I think a lot of the people that were there, I mean, they're like us, they're now, you know, 15 years older. They've got mm. families, they've got jobs. And I think that sort of our little cohort, you think like, where did they go? I haven't heard from this person in so long. Uh, you know, it's not like that these days, but I'm sure people 15 years younger than us are having the same experience. Just we're not in that clique anymore. Maybe. We, 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 were the, we set the foundations and then the, the young kids come <laughs> in and go, hey, we could do this and react in seconds rather than months. We're like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> yeah. How times change. I mean, going back to those times as well, you were so a writer. You wrote a, a book about designing with data. Can you tell us a bit about what got you into that space and, you know, where that went? Yeah. Uh, that book is now, it was published in 2010. So it's 10 years old. Uh, so I was probably working on it for a few years before that. But the the folks at Five Simple Steps was the publisher, and that was Mark Bolton and, and Bolton Mark Bolton Design. Yep. Uh, he had written a book, and I think I was the third one, Donna Fowler, I think, was the second one. I've got the book somewhere. But yeah, I was working at a small startup, and we were doing a lot of natural language text processing. We were helping video game companies trying to understand their communities and help community managers you know, just tackle the sheer volume of information. And you know, part of my job was helping you know build the front-end UI. And that's when we got quite deep into sort of visualizing data. And it was an interesting time as well because it wasn't uh, quantitative data. Quantitative data is, you know, the hard numbers, 15 people, 37 people. And we have good ways of figuring out how to visualize you know, numbers and compare numbers. But we were looking at a lot of qualitative data, people who were writing comments. 
And it was like, well, do you do some sentiment analysis? Or how do you know which words are trending or what words are popular? So we had to do a lot of sort of inventing and a lot of ad hoc, you know, trying things and seeing what worked. And a lot of that practice and stuff got distilled down into, into the book. The publisher went out of business. They, they were sold or well, Mark Bolton design got bought by Monotype and then they turned off the publishing arm. So I own the copyrights to the book again. And that's always, you know, in my infinite free time, uh, I would love to do a second edition of that and uh, spice it up with some findings and just kind of update it a bit. So that, that was 10 years ago, right? So is, is a lot of that still relevant, do you think, as well? Yeah, I, I think at the time I got a bit of grief for it but I'm glad I did it this way because, I mean, the, the title of the book is a, a practical guide to designing with data. And I think a lot of people were like, how do I do this in Excel? How do I do this in Tableau or whatever the tool was? And I've, even in all my other writing, I, I try and avoid too much on the actual uh, tool set, partly right. because, you know, that it'll be outdated in six months or something or like where the menu item to find and create this is going to be gone. So I tried to make it a little more abstract and just talk about charts and graphs and sort of the more bigger picture. So I think a lot of it is still relevant. There's probably more stuff I would love to add into it and update and just make, you know, clarify things a bit more. So there is definitely room for an update, but I think it's still totally valuable and still fresh. I remember reading through it back in 2010, it must have been when you say. And it, there was a lot of really cool ideas in there. And I was, I think we we're both kind of getting into that space of like, how do I make this useful? You know, it's, there's so much out yeah. there, but I want to make it useful. But it, it, I do miss that five simple step series as well. I know they've moved on and all this sort of stuff, but the, the fact that you guys as a community, again, you know, we're really sort of really passionate about these things. Mark invested into all of you that were like really good at these, in these areas and sort of like, right, write a book. Do it, we'll publish it when it's ready. I don't think he, he was tight on time frames. He was just like, when it's ready, we'll ship it. He might give you a goal or something. But, yeah. you know, uh, again, I, I don't know if it's the industry's just got so big. I just I feel like it, we're missing that small nature that we used to have back then. Agreed, agreed. But it's good. And it, it'd be nice if you did revisit maybe and do a 2020 edition and bring things up again. So, <laughs> well, there's two months left. <laughs> two months True, true. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, it's not so much a matter of, like, I think I just need to carve out the time. And one, I mean, one idea I had is just, you know, put it on Kickstarter. Say like, okay, look, the book is finished. You know, it's a low risk project. I want to update the chapters, do a refresh, add some more information in there. Because I think also the way I like to both work and to write and, and convey information, it's not like, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, this is useful, this isn't useful. It's more like, here's a bunch of tools to have in your toolbox, and I'll tell you when they're good and when they're bad. And then it's up to you to try and figure out, in this situation, this is the best tool for the job. So I agree, in the book, there are some obscure things that might not be useful unless you do financial charts in a newspaper and trying to visualize 500 things at the same time. Then knowing that that tool existed and having it in your toolbox could prove to be useful. So, you know, if I put it up on Kickstarter and said, here's what I want to do, if I can get a thousand people or whatever to pre-order, it makes it worth my time. It makes it worth the publishing and printing and post office time as well. Yep. Oh, I'll, um, I'll try and hold you to that. I know we're not going to get it done this year now, but it'd be good to see that back on Kickstarter and try and get I would love to, to those yeah. things. That would be amazing. I mean, you mentioned a few t- times there, you know, trying to find the time. This, this podcast is all about finding the balance and the time to do all these things. Can you talk through your 
typical working day or working week and how you know what that might look like uh, in, in a, a in an average way because i know it must be quite different in different days yeah yeah i mean this is uh, not struggling but at the moment i'm trying to figure out sort of recalculate hourly rate right. and in my hourly rate i'm always trying to figure out because i mean there's there's a big you know, there's the salary that you want to make, and then there's like the taxes you got to pay, and then the hardware costs you have to, you know, renew and refresh stuff every once in a while. But mm -hmm. then there's the things you tend to forget about, like, oh, there's probably 10 vacation days a year that I need to pay myself for, but I'm not going to be, you know, putting any hours in the time tracker. Then there's like, well, there's a couple sick days a month, there's this, there's that, you know. So once you start, and then you, you're, not, you're never working, you know, you're never billable for eight hours a day. So once you kind of subtract all that, you know, I'm I'm happy if I can get six hours in, you know, right. sort of billable you know, work time. And, you know, there's always, especially with freelancing, there's a lot of chasing up on projects and meetings on potential projects. So at the moment, I've probably got three or four major customers. Right. And I'm splitting my sort of week between them. So one of them is an old survey company that myself and some friends started maybe 10 years ago. Um, officially, I'm on the books 40%. So one day a week, I'm definitely, you know, coding and working and managing things. And then the other day, I'm kind of on call. So if something breaks or, hey, it's the end of the month and the end of the month happens to be a Wednesday, I've got to do some stuff. Yeah. So, which is great because it's it, it's not like freelance rates, but it's steady guaranteed income for 40%. Mm. And then I've got a West Coast U.S client, which is uh, one of the more top secret projects, which hasn't rolled out yet. Um, that's always tricky because sometimes that means meetings at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., whenever the other rest of the team is available. And that's sort of two to three days a week. And then here and there, I'm helping uh, some friends and colleagues from old startup companies. They've got new startup companies and they're growing and they need help with the data team. So I go in and it's great to do some uh, pair programming. So it's like, okay, I can sit back and I'm going to train you. And um, it's also great because then, you know, when that afternoon or that day is done, you can put it in a box and forget about it till next week because it's not my project or my responsibility. I'm just there to, you know, spot check code, to think about new things, to be like, well, what about if we do it this way? So that's sort of the level of like billable time workload that I'm doing each week. Uh, on top of that, I'm trying to do weekly week notes. So just sort of every Friday, wrap up and write a little bit about the week. Mm -hmm. At first, it was kind of like, okay, who's actually reading this? And I have no idea if people are. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But then in, after I've done this for a few years, you kind of like, when was, and then all of a sudden you, you can search your own website and be like, oh, that's when I did that. Oh God, that was 2010. You know, you can, it, it becomes a resource more for myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> actually. And then also I've been trying to think about other freelancers and, you know, just putting in there like, look, I've got two outstanding invoices. They haven't paid in a month. Just if other people come across this and they're like, oh, I thought that was only me, you know, just to kind of let people know that that's just the way things go sometimes. And it's just normal. And they haven't paid, but they pay every time. They're just slow or whatever. Mm. So maybe give some reassurance to other people. So I try and get that out once a week. Um, I'm getting back into just generally writing. I've got I'm accounting today. I've got about 20 articles just stubbed for ideas. Mm. I'm really trying to just get a publishing schedule together and write one article a week. So far, I've failed at that, but we're getting close. And then on top of that, there's the, you had mentioned like the quarterly newsletter. So I try and send out a newsletter once a quarter. 
So on top of there's the base workload, billable time, there's this layer of things writing that I want to do. And then when I can squeeze in time each week, uh, sort of interesting, fun projects that I feel that I need to do more of because as a freelancer, you never know where your next meal is going to come from. You know, I always kind of talk about this like uh, hunter gatherers versus farmer agriculturalists. If you've got a day job and you clock in, you know, nine to five, five days a week, you're that farmer, you know, you've got your field, you know, it might not be great enough, but you're never going to have super highs and lows where doing freelance, you're like, you're chasing that mammoth and you might be starving for two weeks and then get a massive big project, which pays really well, but that's got to tide you over for two months because you might not find the next project. So that top layer of sort of personal projects is to sort of show off what I can do. Because if you're not promoting yourself, when you finish one of these projects, you're like, okay, where's the next one? Then you've got to start that machine to figure out to promote yourself. Then it's too late. There was a book, look on the shelf, I don't see it. It's a crappy airport business book. And it's called uh, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And I, I don't recommend the book. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's a book. But there was only two, two nuggets of wisdom in these whatever 200 pages. And one of them is the title. Just dig your well before you're thirsty. And it's, it's especially for a freelancer. It's like the minute you finish a project and then start looking, you know, then you start digging the well, that's too late. You've got to be digging that well because you're going to need water, you know, the minute that project ends. So you can't, you know, dig your well before you're thirsty. So that's the key takeaway. Yeah. Then the other one, the, the guy, he was just saying, he had some throwaway comments, which I thought was brilliant. He's like, if you are the kind of company who sends out you know, Christmas cards to your clients, you're going to be in a stack of 100 other Christmas cards. Send out an Easter card or, you know, an Easter or a Thanksgiving card or a Halloween card. You're going to be the only one. And then they're going to remember you. So like, those are the only two bits of wisdom in the entire book. But I think it's still, they're both really good. And it's something I have to try and, and try and do myself. It's good. I mean, there's loads in there. I, we'll have to unpack at some point. <laughs> it's, to, for me, as a simple takeaway, you've got all this sort of freelance work you need to fit in. That's the, they're the priorities. Then you do the sort of the things you want to do that you can see the value in, but it's just being realistic about what you can fit in. Uh, the coaching you mentioned as well. So you, when you're doing your pairing, when you're working with other people in the community, again, that's a nice playback. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I get a real kick from seeing someone else achieve from a little conversation we've had. Um, not yeah. in a selfish way, but it's just like actually made a difference. Yes. You know, it's just one of them moments. Yeah. I mean, like being a programmer, some things are just blatantly obvious. You make the for loop, you use the variable, you're done, whatever. And then someone who can, you know, they can do some SQL, they can code a little bit and you sit them down you're like, here's how you do it. And you just watch their mind explode. That's super exciting. They're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's, that's also really rewarding. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's the one thing I do miss from being in an office as well. I mean, obviously you've been isolated in Iceland uh, for <laughs> many years, but when I was back in London, I was working in the office with all the engineers to see them pairing and going, never thought of it that way. You know, oh, that that's why you pair. This is why it's worthwhile. It's, it can be quite costly from a delivery perspective because you're getting two people looking at the same problem rather than you know doing two things. But the value of going, you do it together to get better quality, long term this is going to be more valuable um but yeah i'm glad you you're aware of the, all these sort of different hats that you have to wear for your job and your your well-being really i mean you must enjoy <laughs> the different variety of stuff you do as well yeah it keeps things fresh i mean i i think i'm pr after doing this for so long i'm probably not would never be a good nine to five 
you know, corporate employee, just because I would probably tire of some of the projects or just, you know, the same, same view every time where yeah. doing freelance suits me because, you know, I can have a little taste over here and a little taste over here. And then ooh, I can do a little bit more of that. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, you know, the, you know, charging an hourly rate allows you to have some, uh, sort of flexibility and like, okay, we had a really good month. I'm going to take an extra day or two here and there and explore those personal projects or, you know, projects that could eventually spin out into their own product in the future. Mm. Do you, do you find that you naturally get to pick the projects that you want to work on or do you have to find that it's a bit of a give and take sometimes, you know, this one's going to pay me for a few months, but after that, I'm going to kind of find something that really does mean more to me. Um, a little bit of both. Um, okay. Sometimes I just fall backwards into projects. People recommend me and then it's like, wow, the timing just worked out and, you know, things go well. Sometimes you contact someone and they're like, oh, we were looking for a full-time employee. Like, oh, I can can give you maybe one day a week tops. So, you know, it might be a dream project, but it's just not realistic. It doesn't fit in the schedule. But at least you're aware of that. You mentioned earlier your Mm -hmm. quarterly newsletter, uh, optional.is. Um, what I mean, there's two two questions to this. One, why quarterly? And two, wh- what do you see is the purpose of it? I mean, you mentioned the week notes, which again is part part reflection. But I'm I'm subscribed. I have been for God knows how many years now. I, I'm just curious, you know, what motivates you to go for that frequency, and what the sort of general goal is with it as well. Yeah, I think the frequency kind of started because that's that's sort of what I felt I definitely could commit to. Um, I can't hit week notes. So there's definitely no way I could have done a weekly email. Um, I think an annual email, some people who do that, you're just like, oh, I totally forgot about you. So I, I kind of thought quarterly would be not too pushy. Like, you know, if I don't have anything to say, I got, I've got three months to find something. And it was, you know, just a reminder that I still exist. Where I, like annually, I think people might forget. Yeah. So, and also I think um, McSweeney's had a newsletter. They had a quarterly newsletter that they sent out like five times a year or something, which I thought was quite quirky and funny. Um, but yeah, so I thought quarterly was sort of both a pace that my audience would enjoy, as well as something that I think I could commit to and stick to being able to send something out every every quarter. Hmm. Um, you mentioned your audience. What is your typical audience? That's, that's the tricky thing. Um, I think, I mean, I've had this newsletter for several years now before, before having a newsletter was cool. And I think some of it came about, I don't remember who exactly was talking about it, but it's this concept of like owning your own audience. And maybe it was the Kevin Kelly's, whatever, a hundred true fans. There's another lady, Amy, I can't remember her last name. She's got like 20 by a hundred university. And both of them kind of come to the same conclusion. Like if you can find a hundred people willing to pay you 20 bucks a month, you can make $100,000 a year. So you didn't need to be like the next Facebook style, you know, product. You, or, you know, like you just needed a, a niche product, like a base camp or something simpler. And it would, as long as you could get 100 people who were willing to pay you 20 bucks a month, you could, you could live off that. So some of the newsletter idea was like, okay, let's start to build an audience that I own, that I can contact, that I can, that I can make an ask. Like maybe in the future, sort of this sort of Patreon slash Kickstarter idea. You know, if I didn't have this newsletter, I just said, hey, I've got this thing. Do you want to sign up? It would be crickets out there. But at least I've got a few hundred people on this mailing list. And, you know, 
I get 30 to 40% open rate. It's probably going down, but some of that might just be trackers and people being more aware of the evils of uh, social media tracking. Mm. But Emma, I think I've got a, and also, yeah, when you have 10 people, it's friends and family and every single person opens it. And then as the news list grows, people are less committed to you as a, you know, you as you creating content, they're less interested in you because they're just, you know, oh, they heard of you or this one thing you said was interesting. So yeah, I don't know exactly who my audience is, but they stick around. And if they like the sort of weird random things that I write and sort of the connections that I put together, then those are the kind of people on the list. And if they enjoy it, they stay. If they don't, they don't. And I, at first it felt really bad when people unsubscribed, but he's like, well, you know, maybe that's just, this isn't for them. I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird one that that bit about unsubscribing because I think I've I've got into a trap of this in like social media in the past. You know, oh my Twitter followers dropped significantly or whatever it was. Did I say something or whatever it was? And then I go, <laughs> if they don't want to follow me, then that's probably a good thing actually because I'm being warts and all honest. This is me. Don't don't follow me for something that you don't expect me to be. Yeah. So, but you yeah. mentioned again your newsletter. It's a real good mix of random thoughts, but. Actually, when you link them together, it becomes quite a fascinating topic. Where do you find the source for your content? Um, a lot of different places. Um, I follow a lot of random people on Twitter, so I, I collect it there. I've probably got several hundred things in my RSS reader, so things pop up there. And then some of them, someone will make an off comment, and I'll be like, is that really right? And then I'll go look it up. Like, I remember, it's probably been a year or two now, but uh, Kanye wanted to change his name to Yee. And he, he said like, oh, it's because it's the, it's the most popular word in the Bible. And I was like, hang on a sec. I've done enough language, natural language parsing that Yee doesn't sound like a stop word. So I think the or uh will be more popular. So I got, you know, went to Gutenberg Press and got a copy of the Bible and just split on spaces and did word count. And Yee was like, you know, 50th or 60th most popular word in the Bible. But, you know, I made a little newsletter thing about that. And I guess that's another thing that makes the newsletter a little more difficult but unique is I'm not, I'm not trying to just regurgitate content that I might have put in the week notes or I'm trying to make unique original stuff. And some of it might link back to the website or, or I might mention previous articles, but I try to make the newsletter, um, you know, the content there only there. And then again, some people kind of called me out like, well, if it's good content, you should keep it everywhere. So now, at least on the website, there is an archive section for the newsletter. So you can read all the past editions. And it's Google Juice as well. I mean, the search engines will crawl it, and people might you know, find me through through those vectors as well. Yeah. You made, it, you made it a point a few times now. The, the fact that you are writing week notes, blog posts, newsletters, it's generally for your own purpose. If anyone is interested, fantastic. But actually, it's for me. And that's, that's the same reason yeah. I do my week notes now. I'm on week 42 this year. There have been some quiet weeks. In fact, last week was quite a quiet one, but I felt like there's still a few things worth noting. But you, yeah, I, I like the fact that you are just generally doing it for your own benefit. And if other people appreciate it, winning. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, with, with, if people unsubscribe, you know, you, you know, originally I took that sort of personally, like, oh, you don't like my stuff. What did I do? Or did, I, did I write something different? Too long, too short? I think the other thing I always, that I come back to is like, if in the future... I wanted to find my hundred true fans. I would rather have you gone rather than look at my list and be like, I've got a thousand people. If everybody paid me $10, I can make up. like, no, only a small portion are going to do that. So if I weeded out everybody and my list is small anyway, I'll probably have a pretty high return, you know, because I, you know, when we did our Kickstarter uh, for the notebooks years ago, 
I tapped into the mailing list. And again, like those people already love, you know, I would hope that they already love the stuff I'm doing. They know that it's going to be funny and quirky and generally interesting. And I might have a much higher conversion rates from ask to buy or ask to pay than I would if I just tried to get as many people on my list as possible. Yeah, those, those new notebooks. Yeah, I forgot about them until your newsletter this recently. You made a point of them went towards the bottom. Like, oh, yeah, I've got some of them hanging around somewhere. I need to dig them out. From, I think they're in the loft or something. But good times. Um, we, we're rushing through time here, but you mentioned newsletters a few times and you built a iOS app or, well, an Apple app to kind of parse yeah. newsletters into something different. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated that and that kind of journey you had on it? Yeah. Um, like, I'm, all, I'm a huge supporter of the web. I love the web. And if I can do it on the web first, I always try and do it there. But I'm also super interested in in the places the web isn't. And that's all the little nooks and crannies in iOS, notifications, the share sheet, um, some of the interactions, now shortcuts where uh, the web isn't. And um, I read a lot of newsletters and I wrote a really simple app. Uh, it's basically uh, an artisanal IMAP client. It only looks at a single folder in your IMAP uh, mailbox and then looks at all the email to or who it's from and tries to thread it like an RSS reader. So it basically converts an, an email folder into uh, an RSS reader. And I mostly just did it to scratch my own itch, just to you know, learn a little bit more about iOS, but also I use it all the time and I'm loving it. Do you, I mean, I've, I've, I've never asked you this, but have you had many buyers into the, the iOS app you've built or is it just literally for your own benefit? I don't think I've had many buyers. Yeah, the, the handful of free apps that I have have had you know, some downloads. Yeah. But uh, yeah, less than less than hundred. It doesn't even. It doesn't. Maybe it barely pays for the iOS developer account. Well, it's, that's break it even. You're not out of pocket on that, to be honest. But I mean, I'm not really promoting it. Well, true. And, and this is the other thing. I don't think you're. You don't generally shout about the things you do as much as some other people do on the web. You're, you're quite a not an introvert, but more in, you know reserved. Let's say you're not an extrovert mode going out. Look at everything I've made. All these things you do are just for your own benefit. I think that's what always attracted me to you as a as a, a an acquaintance. Really, is that humbleness of what you're doing. So, um, but without getting too bromance with you, but I just thought, you know, <laughs> that that's the thing for me. It's just like if I enjoy it, great. If I don't, I'm not doing it. And that seems to be your attitude yeah. as well. Um, we talked a lot about side projects, work, and stuff like that. What else do you do just to wind down and you know look after yourself in a different way? It's a good question. That's probably struggling with the most recently, partly just because of COVID. It's more difficult to get out and meet friends or get out and just have the time to go for a walk. Now mm. we're starting to get into the winter time. We're quickly heading into 24 hours of darkness in a few months. Yep. So that just makes it much more difficult and not so nice to get out and enjoy things. But I mean, I used to just read loads of books and just sort of kick back and relax. And now I just shunt off everything into you know, Instapaper or some pin board or something. So I, I know this is interesting and I want to read it. I just don't have time now. So I think at the moment that is probably suffering the most. And some of that is just client workload and, and yeah, COVID situation and, and just life. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, meeting up with friends, getting out of the house. That's probably the bigger relaxing things to do yeah i was going to say being in iceland you've got all that beautiful natural sort of 
views that you can enjoy do you get to do that much or is it really difficult from with your work-life balance um no i mean previously we had a lot of friends and and visitors coming through and, and staying in the guest room and stuff and being freelance it makes it much more easy to sort of shuffle things around like okay well this is not high priority i can do this you know after dinner so then you can take the morning and, and show friends around or go to you know events or take the car out to the countryside so i think mm. freelancing allows for a lot more flexibility than having a sort of nine to five job where you gotta officially clock out or tell your boss so oh, wednesday i'm not going to be in like, you know freelance you just you just beholden to yourself and maybe some deadlines if you can hit those deadlines, okay, you can shuffle things around. Work at 2 a.m. if you want. So, um, yeah, when I think friends were coming through more often, it was much more easy to, you know, get out and see the countryside. And it was also a good excuse because whenever you live somewhere, you never do the touristy things yourself. No, you're right. I mean, like I say, I've, I've, I've been 9 to 5 clock puncher for most of my life. So I've always been locked down to that mode unfortunately but even when i was working in london i've literally ran the corner from westminster in, in my more recent role and i have not even seen that place you know i can look <laughs> out my window and see big ben and the, the big, big eye never been anywhere near that stuff in my life and you know just past 40 it's scary that these things don't happen but going back to yourself so you obviously you have guests and they, they encourage you to get out you know but do you feel like actually, I don't need to, I, I don't want to, or you just feel like, you know what, it's just part of what I am now. I just I enjoy it when it's there. Yeah, I think more the latter. I think it's just kind of, you know, you've carved your little niche, you stay at home, you do your stuff. You know it's there if you need to, but I mean, there's just a big enough backlog of interesting things, just, you know, an arm's reach away, a pile of books on the on the table. Yeah, and I, I mean, I mentioned like health and well-being. Do you do much for fitness or any exercise or anything like that, diet-wise? No, I mean, I've got the, the the ring, trying to close the rings, but uh, yeah. other than that, uh, not as not as much as I should, for sure. That's right. definitely on the the uh, the to do list when when I can get back into a more regular schedule. Because, like I said, everything's shut: the pools, the gyms, everything for COVID. It's made it a lot harder, that's for sure. I mean, I'm literally just doing a workout in the living room three times a week now, and that's <laughs> luckily I can close the curtains for that. No one should see that, but I can personally <laughs> feel better for doing something, you know. It's great. So, I mean, what I ask every guest now is, you know, what kind of tricks of the trade do you have that help you organise your sort of masses of things that you do? You've got your freelance work, you've got your side project stuff, you've got your little fun projects as well. You know, how do you organise your thoughts at the moment? I kind of live out of two apps on the phone, the reminders and the notes. And it, I think it was part of the GTD, whereas if you can do it in two minutes, just do it. And if you can't, just put it somewhere. There's a you know universal capture. So if you write it down, then you don't have to think about it. And then your short-term memory isn't stressed out about it. So just get it out of your head. So I think those two is just open up reminders, put something in there, you know, add a date, remind me next Monday, whatever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the notes app where I just kind of, I've got, it also helps me with the week notes. Like I have an individual page for each week and then I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I have the little uh, check boxes in there. And if, you know, like last week when we scheduled this, I just opened up the one for this week, put on Monday, you know, talk with Cy, 11 o'clock, put it in there. So then I don't forget. And then on Friday, when I want to, you know, decompress and look at the week notes, I can just look what I did. Oh, okay. And then just kind of write a narrative form on that to-do list or checklist. 
So that is the best way I've found at the moment is to keep everything sane. It's just don't try and remember it. Just throw it in one of those two apps and be my second brain. Fair play. I mean, I'm, I'm very similar mode to you, actually. I, I, I fire up bare notes every Monday just to create my outline for the week. It's like, what's got to be done this week? What's got to be done today, tomorrow? You know, give it some times and stuff like that. I use TickTick for my task management. So it's slightly different, but very similar concept of just, right, before I forget it, shove it in TickTick and it'll, it'll be there for when I look at it next. Um, yeah. but, uh, you're, you're a bit of a geek like me, right? Have you, have you found a way of trying to automate this, you know, using Siri or anything else, any of the background processes that makes it a bit simpler for you? Yeah, I've looked into a few different ways of doing it. The, um, the reminders and the calendar are, are connected in, in, at least in iOS, they're part of this general database. So right. I've tried to write a few apps that sit on top of that which can then pull those out. And I, it was called like today and tomorrow. So like, what am I doing today? What am I doing tomorrow? And then I think everything else. I never I never finished it because then I kind of moved over to a Siri shortcut because you can do a lot of the same stuff. Just ask True. Siri and it'll look through the, uh, the, the reminders in the calendar and you can have it speak it to you or uh, do sort of push notifications. So I've been looking at that, but I'm one of those people that just like, you know, if you've got 30 seconds and nothing's happening, you pick up your phone. Like, so I just look at the apps and put them in there. And the iOS 14 stuff now, we've got a lot of these shortcuts and dashboard and widgets to make that easier anyway, haven't we? So yeah. if it works, oh, good. But that's it. That's, yeah, the least reminders are synced to the, the watch. Notes isn't. Um, I really like the notes because, like with reminders, the minute you tick it off, it it's gone. At least with notes, it's there. So on Friday, I can sort of review things. So I'm trying to find sort of this balance between short-term, remind me on this day, versus long-term, I need an archive of everything I did this week. So if there was something out there that was sort of a blend between those, that'd be great. That'd be amazing. Well, maybe we'll have a look at this next year when uh, we've got a bit more capacity. Let's go back quickly. So you were showing me something right now. There's another little project you're working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we wrap it up? Yeah, um, it was a Oculus VR headset for all the people listening at home. Um, started to dabble a little bit in VR. I've always been super interested in VR and AR, so virtual reality and augmented reality. And I've luckily been working on a, a couple of VR projects. And it's been super interesting just to, you know, you read stuff, you think about things, but actually once you have it in your hands and you play with it, and you watch other people use it, you really get a, a sense of like, this is gonna go somewhere or no, it's not. And I'm, I think personally, I'm much more bearish and enjoy augmented reality than virtual reality. Virtual reality is really weird. Like there's a couple like virtual reality 360 movies and you're like, oh, you really gotta check this out. And you put it on somebody's head and then you just stand there for six minutes while they watch a movie. It's like, well, there's no community. There's no like sitting on a couch watching the same thing. So as grand and as cool as it might be, it's it's not there. It's not a it's not a social thing. So it's been great to actually have one and and you know let people try it and see how they react and then how you feel while you watch them react. And you're like, I want to be part of this, but I can't. So So you're not bought into the VR yet, but you think AR has got a lot more potential at the moment. Yeah. And I'm I someone had told me there was a quote, I don't know where exactly where it came from, but they said you know, what the, you know, desktop computer did for sort of white collar work, 
you know, if you were an accountant or a lawyer, when you got a computer on your desktop, your productivity, you know, multiplied by factors of a thousand, they're thinking that VR and AR will do the same sort of thing for like blue collar work. If you're a carpenter right now, you measure everything, you have to look, you look over there, you spot it. Conceivably, you'll have AR apps, which will, you know, massively increase your productivity to the same level that sort of Excel did for accountants. It's fascinating stuff. And I think you're right with AR. I, I see more potential with AR than I do with VR. I remember watching Ready Player One and I was like, oh, this, this is a mind blower. No wonder Spielberg tapped into it. But it, that, it's quite limiting. I think that's, that's the problem. You've got to put this headset on and you've got to stay in a space to do things. Whereas AR, you can yeah. take your phone anywhere, you can show it to anything and it will literally bring another world to you. Um, yeah. So if you've got anything you can share with us when you can, that'll be uh, wonderful to see Definitely. what you've got. Um, yeah. and we'll, well, I think we'll probably have to revisit because you, you've always got something to show. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing we talk to you. I'm not, you blow my mind and you get me thinking about other things that I shouldn't be thinking about. <laughs> Really great to see you, mate. Uh, thanks for joining me on yeah. uh, this episode. How can people get hold of you if they want to have a chat and follow along with the things you're doing? Sure. Um, sort of the, the website optional.is is where I'm sort of doing all my freelance and work from. But suda.co.uk is my personal website. And from there, yeah. you can find me on Twitter and other sources. Cool. We'll get all the links in the show notes as well so people can find you. Um, Love Great. it. Thanks for good joining me, mate. And thanks for helping me wrap yeah. up another fascinating series of the Make Life Work podcast. So um, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Maybe in person next. Oh, that would be a novelty, wouldn't it? Or in VR. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks for coming along. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks to Brian for joining me on this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. Always a pleasure to have a chat with Brian. And as always, my mind is blown with all the cool things he's been working on. We will definitely get him back again in the future. We'll put all the links in the show notes at makelifeworkpodcast.com along with all the other show archives in there as well. Make sure you follow us on all the socials at makelifeworkpod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you are enjoying this, maybe leave us a review in Apple, Amazon or Google Podcasts or any of the other podcast apps that you might be using out there. That wraps up season four of the podcast and another fantastic round of guests. I'd like to thank Liz Elcote, Naomi White, Franka Hood, Dan Vinicum, and Brian Suda for sharing their stories in this season. I hope you've all enjoyed the conversations as much as I have. We'll be back soon with another five guests from around tech talking about how they try to find a balance with work, life, and any side projects. Stay subscribed so you don't miss the trailer or any of the new episodes as they drop. Speak to you then.